On this episode of AvTalk, tropical cyclones dominate the discussion. We also look at a close or not so close call in Kenya. And cranky flyer himself, Brett Snyder, joins us to preview the upcoming LAX Dorkfest next weekend. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Hello, Jason Rabinowitz here. We're up to number 40. We're up to number... We've reached middle age. Wow. Did we have a party? We did, yeah. Remember we talked about it last time with the 747s in the yard. You didn't get my balloons? No, I didn't. Oh, boy. The the balloon drone never made it. (laughs) We're going to be in trouble with the FAA. Yeah, it got shot down somewhere over the East River. (laughs) (laughs) The future is is bleak. Anyway. 40 is a number, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah. We're up to 40. I've listened to 40 seconds worth of it, but that, that's good. You know what? I'm surprised we got that far into it. So I, yeah, I, 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 I appreciate what you I had to listen to the doing. episode where I was missing. So <laughs> Just checking in on everything. Yep. Just checking in, make sure everything runs smoothly in my absence. Well, and it, it went smoothish, but we, we muddled through and you're back for this one. I am indeed. And it's been a busy couple weeks in the airline industry, and uh, it's going to be a busy couple couple weeks in the future. You just booked some flights, and I've got some flights coming up. So uh, where are you headed? I am going to London, and then Rome, and then Milan, because why not? Well, I mean, we had some good discussion about where you should go, and you, you're going to London for, for a work thing. That's right. So I'm going to London, and... Hard part's already done. I'm in Europe, so I might as well take some time off and go somewhere else in Europe since that the hard part of getting to Europe is done. Some lengthy debate on the Twitters about where I should go, and 115 responses later, I just said, screw it, I'm going to Italy. I want some pasta. That's, I mean, good reason Most of any. my travel these days is dictated by what food I will eat. Like, I went to Chicago, not to visit you, but for the hot dogs. Right, right. Clearly. I mean, yeah. I, I was just a vehicle- Quite literally, to a the literal hot dog. vehicle to get me to a hot dog. So that's a role I'm willing to play, right? And in this case, there will be some pasta, and you probably won't have to have anyone drive you anywhere. Probably not. I hope not. And if they do, it'll be in one of those tiny little cars. All right, I'll take it. As long as it gets me to pasta, that is often my you know when traveling. If the, if the vehicle will take me to food, I'm willing to go that route. That's all I needed to hear. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoy your travels, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit about why you're going to London in our next episode. Wait, when are you going? First week of October, which is a day or two after I go up to Boston for an industry conference. So, I've got a couple busy weeks coming up, but I'm not flying up there. I'm taking a train, which is lame. Well, I mean, trains are fun too sometimes. I mean, they are. I'm a firm believer in that that East Coast shuttle routes between Boston and New York and DC have no need to exist that everyone should be doing that on train anyway. So, I'm sticking to that philosophy. All right then. Well, good good luck with that and I hope everything goes well. But we'll hear about that in a couple episodes hence. Our podcast, as everyone who, who is listening the day that it comes out knows that it comes out on Friday, which is the day that... Hurricane Florence is expected to make landfall in the Carolinas on the U.S. East Coast, and it is shaping up to be... It's a doozy. Is a doozy. Um, and that that's a technical aviation term for those yes. that aren't aware. Doozy is somewhere between a nuisance and a catastrophe. Right. So, it looks like it's going to be quite the storm for a number of reasons. One, it's physically very large. With depth, it's a big, big storm. And 
it's slowing down or, or will slow down as it approaches the coast, which means it's going to hang out for a while. So the risk of extended rainfall and flooding is very real for this storm, which will, you know, from an aviation perspective, impact airports even more so than the wind does, because the wind usually comes and goes relatively quickly. It's when you start getting into significant rainfall and a lot of flooding that you can get some really lengthy issues. Right. So the last couple of days, I've gotten a lot of questions about, will my flight be canceled? What's going to happen? Should I rebook? Is is my going to be able to get between New York and, and Puerto Rico with the hurricane in the way? And the answer is, I don't know, maybe, yes, no. Every airline has weather waivers and fee waivers posted. So if you're due to fly to or from or through any city in the Carolinas or anywhere really that's impacted by the storm. If you're just getting this advice now, it's too late anyway, because you can't do anything about it. But with all storms, airlines do what they'll do. Maybe your flight will be on time. Maybe it'll be delayed. Maybe it'll be canceled. Hang in there, I guess. Yeah. Is that it, the best advice? I, I mean, it, well, it, with the podcast coming out on Friday, there's not really much advice we can give in, in that way. But we can give advice to people who have flights maybe the week after or people, like you mentioned, that are wondering if they're flying a flight that they would take from, from say, New York to Puerto Rico is that flight going to be impacted? So the advice for those who are flying, you know, next week or a few days after the storm is expected to pass through, your flight may be impacted. And beyond the weather, it's it's also the, is it safe to operate an aircraft there at the airport? Is the airport itself physically safe? If the runway is flooded, you, you can't operate that airport. Things like that. If the terminal is flooded, you can't operate the terminal. And it's also an issue of getting crews to work there. I mean, you may be able to land a plane, but if the, the folks who work at the air traffic control tower can't physically get to the airport because there are trees blocking the road or they don't have power or, you know, any number of things. There's all these, you know, extraneous factors that come into play that might impact your flight. So it's always, you know, keep checking back with your airline on a regular basis. Check their websites. They're good about posting these things. You know, stay on social media to follow these the airlines and, and check in on your flight on a regular basis. And if, if you're flying from one airport to another that, you know, is kind of on either side of the storm, yes, your flight will be impacted. Most likely you will fly around the storm. So it might take you a little longer to get where you're going. Right. But that's there okay. There are a bunch of storms brewing out there right now. There's Florence... Isaac, Helene, Joyce, Olivia. What are the two out in the Pacific? Mangut? Yeah, there's Mangut, and that's on its way to Hong Kong and should get there by by the weekend. That's due to impact uh, the arrival of the first Cathay A350 from IAD, actually. Yeah, that's uh, uh, not not very well timed for that. No, Seth Miller, a buddy of ours, is supposed to be on that flight that arrives at pretty much the time the storm is supposed to get to Hong Kong. So, good luck. Yeah, we'll we'll see what ends up happening with that. And then there's Olivia out there who's uh, north of Hawaii right now at yeah, the moment. So there's, so there's, there's a, lot a lot of stuff going, going on. on. Pack your patience. If you don't have to fly, change your plans. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. If you've got a flight, you'll get where you're going. And if there are any Delta flights that tempt fate with the hurricane to see how – just how close they can cut it to do the hurricanes, we'll be watching again this year. Oh, definitely. So, we'll, we'll be oh, ready yes. for that. Yes. But they've been on really well. So, I mean, 
I mean, that's that's one thing yeah. that I've seen a lot of. People keep asking, why are there no weather waivers posted for IAD? The storm is tracking towards the Washington, D.C. area. Well, none of the airlines really posted anything for D.C. And lo and behold, the storm actually tracked to the south. So eventually, the National Weather Service updated their, their forecast and they said, okay, the storm will go further south. But the airlines never posted any weather waivers for the north. So they were pretty much all relying on their own internal forecast, their own teams, Delta's team, 26 meteorologists knew and properly predicted that the storm would go south and they did not need to post a weather waiver for DC. So again, as always, hats off to those guys. Yeah, they do remarkable work. So the other kind of typhoon hurricane related aviation story this week was that the Antonov AN-225 got pressed into service to bring relief supplies to Guam after Mangu moved through. And that was a very interesting story. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the AN-225's longest ever flights because it flew from Kiev to Oakland, 13 hours nonstop. That- That's a long flight for, for any aircraft. Let alone, you know, the the biggest one you've got. Biggest so that one was, anyone's got. That's what I'm saying. So that that was pretty neat. And then it, they loaded it up in Oakland with relief supplies, you know, MREs, tents, uh, all sorts of, you know, typhoon-related relief supplies. Flew to Honolulu, fully loaded, fueled up, and then waited for the typhoon to pass Guam and then flew to Guam to unload all the relief supplies. The use of the AN-225 created some some questions. And, and Jason, I know you had many questions. I did, such as why does the U.S. federal government need to borrow or, or pay to lease the world's largest aircraft to bring supplies to a, a U.S. territory? I posed that question on Twitter on Twitter because I simply did not know. And apparently, U.S. heavy lift aircraft are in short supply and the pilots to fly them are in even shorter supply. And somehow at the end of the day, FEMA has to pay the federal government back or the armed forces back to to use something like a, a C-5 Galaxy. So, I don't know. It's not like in other missions where they were using an AN-225 to – or the AN-225 to, to heavy lift in generators or, or really heavy, large, oversized equipment that they wanted to do in one shot. This was just MREs and other – basic equipment that could have been hauled over on a couple of military transports. So I'm not super thrilled that the government has to pay to use the world's only and largest aircraft. I feel like there has to be a better option for them. It was interesting in a couple of ways, you know, how the FEMA reimbursement is structured and the reimbursement that they have to make to anybody who does operations for them is something that that's a whole separate conversation. But one of the interesting things in the regulatory filing that that Antonov put in with the, the secretary, the Department of Transportation for approval for this flight was that they didn't know what they were actually going to be carrying. So it, it was a situation when you read it, what they were saying is that they could end up carrying generators and trucks and things like that. They just didn't know because it depended on what, how bad the damage would be on Guam. They didn't know exactly what they were going to need to bring with them. Right. So, that was an interesting, you know, interesting yeah, point else there. I found interesting was their primary source of transport to the island is, is I guess, legally supposed to be commercial passenger aircraft that they use belly cargo on. And in Guam, that's not really a, a big option because you only have uh, 
one or a couple flights a day from Hawaii over to Guam, and maybe that's on a 737. Eventually, it'll be, if not already, upgaged to a 777 with United, but that's still only one flight, and the capacity simply isn't there to bring in sufficient equipment. So, the FEMA had to outsource to... um, they went from, well, we don't have any commercial lift, so we will get the biggest aircraft in the world to do it. You know, why not? You know, go to, it was there. It wasn't, I wasn't mean, it's, doing it's anything there, else. But I, I can't imagine leasing the the A, the world's only AN-225 is a cheap endeavor. Well, I mean, no, it, I, we should call that phone number and find out. There's a phone number? Yeah, when they open the nose, there's a big phone number. You can actually – they actually have the fax number on the bottom of the – well, I don't. I have to check the recent photos. I am going to fax them at work tomorrow <laughs> I, and I've ask how this, much to fly me to work. I've always found this really funny that they have the fax number posted on the on the airplane. Just got a kick out of that. But the AN-225 wasn't the only one. There was an AN-124 that landed just in front of it a few hours before the 225 landed in Guam. So, I mean, it, it was significant heavy lifting. I don't know. It, it just kind of irks me that we have to lease out Ukrainian heavy lift aircraft. We pay so damn much to our own military, and I know they have the aircraft out there. So, do we really not have a C-5 Galaxy out there to borrow to, to bring in relief supplies? I just don't understand it. I don't know who to call to find out the answer to that, but I'm sure somebody does. So if Somebody does. If you know, email Ian. There you go. Podcast at fr24.com. And if you have, yeah, if you have insight into this, why exactly, I mean, I'm not well versed in FEMA's reimbursement or the Stafford Act or anything like that. But if you are, we'd love to learn more. I'm never going to say no to watching the AN-225 fly. That's right. I am still salty mainly that it just didn't stop in New York on the <laughs> That's way. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Yeah. So 13 hours to Oakland? Really? Come on. Like, it, yeah, stop you in New York stop. next time. When it departed Oakland though, and then we'll leave this where it is. When they departed Oakland, they departed over the Golden Gate Bridge. Nobody has a picture. And nobody has a picture. And, it's and it was killing at like 4,000 feet on a nice day in sunlight and nobody has a picture? And nobody – I have not seen one picture. You know there's some tourist out there that was taking like a stupid duck face selfie in front of the Golden Gate Bridge and just happens to have the 225 in the frame and will never see it. Uh, one day. One day. One day. Oh, And well. you posted a – Freaking sweet picture of the 225 the last time it went to JFK, didn't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. This was, was it November 2002? Long time ago. A long time ago in, in a land, well, a couple hundred miles of east from where I sit now. A couple like dozen miles to my left. There you go. I have no idea why the 225 was at JFK, but it was, and it was parked, and the Concorde was departing, and somebody grabbed a photo of the Concorde departing and, and banking away from the runway with the 225 just sitting there parked. And it's a beautiful photo and one that I will toss into the show notes because, I mean, it's you're never going to see that again. It's pretty spectacular. So, that's enough about the 225. I think we should move on. Perhaps to being yelled at by the Kenyan Civil Aviation Authority? Or the Ethiopian whatever authority. Okay. So, well, a few weeks ago now, almost two weeks ago now, Two aircraft in Kenyan airspace had were on intersecting paths at the same flight level. They were both at flight level 370, so probably 30, 37,000 feet, and they were on intersecting paths. And it was a, a Neos 767 on its way to Zanzibar. And you got to say the, the call sign. Oh, <laughs> 
we'll, we'll get there. And an Ethiopian 737 on its way to, to, to Addis. Complete side note that Jason and I have both been discussing this week is the, the Neos call sign is Moonflower. Do you know the reason why it's called Moonflower? Well, I do because you looked it up and told me, but I would love for you to tell everyone listening to the podcast. Basically, I don't have it up in front of me, but I'm summarizing. Neos's call sign is Moonflower, named after the Carlos Santana song Moonflower, because Neos's objective is to get its passengers to vacation spots really quickly, and they think that... Carlos as soon as they sent- enter the aircraft, yeah. they, they want them to feel like they're on vacation as soon as they're Which on the Which for plane. some reason they call it the Mexican songwriter's Carlos Santana's Moonflower as uh, obviously the most vacation-y thing possible. So, there, there's that. I can't argue with that. Nope. So anyway, so the Ethiopian flight climbed climbed 1,000 feet and passed over the path of the of the Neo 767. Both flights landed. Nothing ever happened. There was no anything that happened. It was reported to us from a couple of different sources, pointed out to us and people who are knowledgeable on the subject, gave us information that there was a, uh, a TCAS resolution advisory, meaning that the two aircraft transponders were talking to each other, the traffic collision avoidance system activated and told the the Ethiopian aircraft to climb to avoid a mid-air collision. That information was backed up by a memo sent out by the Kenyan Air Traffic Controllers Association, their union. And there was a newspaper report published in Kenya about this event. And this happened, you know, the event happened, went by, and then a few, you know, days went by before this newspaper report was published. Responding to the newspaper report, the Kenyan Civil Aviation Authority said this didn't happen. There was no resolution advisory. The aircraft were not close enough to each other for this to happen. And the controller spotted it and and solved the problem. I mean, that very well may be. But the memo sent out on August 30th by the Controllers Association states there was a TCAS RA. There's also some important background information to know here is that the Ethiopian air traffic controllers have been on strike for for weeks now. And they have had to bring in controllers from other countries and retired controllers. And Ethiopian Airlines has been routinely issuing press releases that say, Ethiopian airspace is safe, it, it's under control, don't worry about it, which anytime they have to send out a press release like that makes me kind of think otherwise. I don't know if they just kind of bring attention to it on its own. But there, there's a lot of animosity between a couple of the countries that Ethiopians air traffic controllers are on strike and some people are accusing the, the government of, of having unsafe airspace. Right, right. And Even though this happened over Kenya. Well, this happened over Kenya, but, but one of the issues that has been been of concern to to especially to Kenyan air, air traffic controllers is that aircraft coming out of Ethiopian airspace are either at the wrong flight level, are at an unanticipated flight level, or the handoff between the controllers is not going as it's supposed to. So the communication between controllers in different areas is not occurring the way it's supposed to because of the backup or retired controllers that are operating in Ethiopian airspace. 
Right. And if, if they're from other countries working in Ethiopia, they might simply not be accustomed to the local airspace, I guess, regulations or, or oddities even. I'm sure all every air, piece of airspace has oddities and its own kind of uh, unique twists, but that's definitely something I would uh, not be super thrilled about. Exactly. And and so the issue here is not whether there was or was not a, a, a TKSRA. The, the issue was that there was an event here in this airspace and something happened. And so- and Maybe technology saved the day. Maybe it didn't. And we maybe it was know. the controller. I, but the point is that, that, that something happened and- the airspace is being affected in the region somehow. Something to to keep in mind. And if, if um, nothing else, we learn that Neos's call sign is Moonflower, and that's enough. And that's enough. So last episode, we talked about a hard landing that resulted in the wheels falling off of an A320 in in Macau. This episode, we're going to talk about a takeoff that resulted in the wheels falling off in Boston. Hmm. I know. The wheels should not fall off. Wheels should not fall off. But sometimes they do. And when they do, we are there to talk about it. Sometimes they happen when there's a student pilot operating the flight. Which is rather impressive. I mean, just, just some some really some really impressive piloting by Maggie Taraska, who is a 17-year-old student pilot. This was her first cross-country solo flight. She was heading for Portland, Maine from uh, Beverly Airport near Boston. And on takeoff, the right main wheel fell off, just fell off the plane. And so she was uh, understandably upset. She's, you know, not a ton of experience. She had about 60 hours of experience flying the aircraft. So, I mean, she, she's not unfamiliar with the aircraft. But, I mean, 60 hours in, I don't think you expect the wheel to fall off. I mean, if if ever. But what she did is she, she talked to the air traffic controller and she talked to her flight instructor over the radio. And the three of them worked the problem and the flight landed safely. Other than the wheel she hit a light on landing, and that was pretty much the only damage. She, you know, got out of the plane, walked away. So, you know, hats off to her, and 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 wheels off to her. Yeah, we could give you the link, and you can watch the replay of the plane going round and round and round and round for a long time. We'll do that, and we'll link to the air traffic control audio because it's uh, some some very good professionalism on everyone's part to get the plane down safely and and to make sure that the the best possible resolution you know uh, occurred. A happy ending, you know, is always good. I agree. So you are going to Boston in a couple weeks, which is why you're not going to LA with me, which is disappointing, but I'm going to LA for, for some fun stuff. I'm going to Los Angeles International Airport to stay at the airport for the day and watch planes come in and talk about aviation with anyone who shows up because I'm going to the Cranky Flyer Cranky Dork Fest. We are going to bring in Brett Snyder, who is Cranky Flyer. And he will join us in just a few moments and crankily tell us what Dorkfest is all about, how it got started, and how you can participate. So let's take a really quick break, and then we'll bring in Brett. So stay with us. (music) 
Welcome back to AvTalk. We are now joined by Brett Snyder, who is better known in the aviation world as Cranky Flyer. And this week or next week, we'll have the Cranky Flyer Dorkfest at LAX. And we wanted to talk to him a bit about that. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I'm always happy to. Thanks for having me. Hey, Brett, what's going on? Hey, man, what's happening? <laughs> so I'm going to be there for the first time this year. And so I wanted to kind of get a history of, of what Dorkfest is, kind of how it started and how it's grown over the years. Sure. So Dorkfest isn't much, I will say. It's basically... He, he's right. It's not much, but it's good. Well, that, that's the point. I've actively resisted efforts to turn it into something bigger. But it really just started as, hey, I know a lot of people that read the blog like to also watch airplanes. And we have a lot of different people that read the blog, but there, there's that definite subset of people that like to get together, watch airplanes and talk shop about things. And there aren't many places in the world that are better than the in and out right Right by LAX, which is you know just off the north runway complex there, and you have a great view of airplanes coming in, and of course you get good burgers. So you know I just started saying, hey, I'm going to be here. If anyone shows up, cool. And this has turned into an annual thing that every September I pick the date. It seems random to people, but it actually is based on the fact that as a UCLA football fan, I go when they're not in town. That's the secret to the date choice there. But I pick the date, then I just say, hey, everyone show up, uh, you know, about 11 to 11 to 1, although I've never left by 1. And we just uh, have burgers and talk shop. Hey, you've always scheduled it right around the Apex Expo, which has been great because that's usually when I'm out in LA anyway. But this year I'll be in Boston and I'm very disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. They had to go schedule that thing in Boston this year, which is a bummer. Although the RAA is in Long Beach uh, right after that. So maybe we'll pick up some of the regionals. And the other kind of co-located event is the NYC Aviation kind of spot LAX event, which they've kind of timed because they know that you have your event as well. So it, it's a busy AvGeek weekend down there. Yeah. So that actually started last year and uh, they reached out to me and said, Hey, we were thinking about doing it this weekend. You know, do you have any interest in in doing it at the same time? And I said, yeah, sure. That's great. Cause they, they don't have anything during the day on Saturday. They have their events at other times during the weekend. And it's great for people that want to come and, and get you know, more bang for the buck when they come on out. But it's really, you know, it's nice. And last year we actually had, I'd say much better turnout than we have had in previous years, probably just because you get a mix of, of people from both, both sides that end up wanting to do both. So I know you posted a picture on Twitter today of a really amazing vintage. Well, the logo's vintage, but I assume the hat is itself new from Gotta American so. Airlines. <laughs> it looks like there, there's going to be some things for giveaway while the event is happening. Yeah, this is one thing that I've allowed to occur here as as a bit of a growth of the of the event. But some airlines started saying, "Hey, can we give you some things to give away to people?" And you know, I really didn't want to get into this big thing of, "All right, well now I have to figure out a way to to hand things out and you know turn it into this whole big deal." So instead, what it has sort of become is, I know others bring their stuff as well now, and people just bring you know, whatever. And some of the bigger things will maybe auction off or not even auction off, but just uh, have people write their names down and pick it out of a hat. But then other things people can just sort of trade if they see things they want. So this year, you know, so far you, you saw American, they have those hats, which they, they are definitely not 
old hats there, just the old logo, but they looked really cool. And they gave me some other stuff as well, including a model of a triple seven that, you know, we'll, we'll give away. And British Airways, they always give me a, a small model to auction off or to give away, which is nice. And uh, Spirit this year, actually, Spirit came through, believe it or not. And one of the things they have, which I haven't even talked about yet, but I'll probably mention it before, but I actually have some free tickets to give away on Spirit. That's a new addition here. Wow. I think I still have the uh, Southwest drink coupon that I won last year. Yeah, that's right. See, we'll give anything away. It doesn't really matter. There have been some really awful things that nobody has wanted, but that's okay. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't think anyone would want, but they did anyway. So, that's well, always well, nice to have. I'll be there this year with Flight Radar 24 keychains and, and lanyards and some hats of our own. So, we'll definitely be giving those away if hopefully people actually want those. Brett, tell us when exactly the event is taking place and where it is, just so people know exactly where to go if they want to show up. Sure. So it is Saturday, September 22nd, and it's officially from 11 to 1 out here at at LAX. I have never left. I'd say I've probably never left before 2 o'clock is my guess on that. The event runs from when Brett shows up to when Brett leaves. No, I mean, it starts before I get there. There are definitely people who fly in in the morning and just go over and hang out and watch airplanes in the park. And, you know, I tend to get there about 11. And then I tend to hang around until the end whenever people start dispersing. But at some point, people decide they're going to move over to the other side of the airfield to get better photos or whatever it might be. So, it's there's a little park across the street from the in and out at LAX. I don't remember the address offhand, but it's on Sepulveda Boulevard. And it's just north. We'll put a link and a map in the show notes. Okay, perfect. So people can find it. So right across from the in and out there, there's a a little park and you can just hang out. This really is not an organized thing at all. The point is just show up and watch airplanes, have a burger and, you know, hang out and talk shop with people and that's part of the fun. And I know sometimes, you know, these airlines that are giving me things, they say, well, how many people do you think are going to show up? And I say, well, I don't know. There's no RSVP. Well, it could be 10,000. It could be two. I don't know. But there are literally tens of us. <laughs> yeah, I would say last year we probably had maybe about 75 or so. You know, like I said, it was more because of the NYC aviation folks that were there. So, you know, maybe it'll be the same, but you never know any given weekend or, hey, if the if the loads are bad and a lot of the non-revs can't make it out, then that hurts too. So, you never know who's going to show up, but it's always a good group and it's always fun to to just talk to all kinds of people about the stuff we all love. Well, I, I know I'm looking forward to joining in person for the first time, and I hope a lot of other people are going to be able to make the trip. Or if they can't make the trip this year, then they can start planning about the same time next year. I guess the secret now is know to check the UCLA, UCLA football schedule, and you'll know generally what weekend it's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. It's always September. So it's you know generally the middle to end of September, and uh, you can kind of play with it that way, I guess. Well, Brett, thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you soon. Brett Schneider of Cranky Flyer can be found on Twitter as Cranky Flyer. And check out his blog, which has some really great insights into the airline industry, which we'll have to have him back on at some point to discuss that even further. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much, Brett. I am looking very much forward to spending eight hours on a plane to spend five hours at a place looking at planes.
that's some kind of thing I would do. Yeah, Except I'm not this year. I've, I've gone several years in a row in the past. And it's a good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And and like I mentioned when we were talking with Brett, if anyone is thinking about going and it is, you know, if if getting a Flight Radar 24 keychain really sways whether or not you want to jump on a plane and go to LA on the 22nd of September, I mean, I'll be there with a ton of keychains. Do it. Uh, we saw and, some. Yeah. We saw some good stuff last year. We got we had an appearance from uh, Voodoo One, if you're familiar. Ooh. It was good. I am familiar. And for those who are not, a link in the show notes. Because mm, it's that a down. funny looking plane. Oh, it sure it. is. Highlight of the uh, Dorkfest. Very cool. Yeah, so it, that, that'll be a good time. We've also got, we're donating some prizes to the spot LAX, the NYC aviation event in the evening. We're donating some prizes to that. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that. If you're going and you haven't signed up, you, you can do so already. Prizes are good. And and so that'll be fun. Yeah, one of them is an intimate dinner with Ian. Sure. Wait, <laughs> Wait what? Wait. That's not right. This is a different kind of podcast. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, and after all of this happens, maybe we'll get a little podcast segment out of it to talk to some of the people that are there. And it'll be a good time. You're going to eat some burgers, aren't you? Well, I'm going to be standing at, you know, in and out for eight hours. I might as well uh, have at least 15, 16 burgers. Good man. Is that, I mean, I don't, I don't know how this works, but we'll figure it out. So that is coming up uh, the 22nd of September. And I hope any anybody who can join us does. And follow along on social media, obviously, we'll be there taking probably way too many pictures, but but it'll be a good time. Bring your memory card. There you go. Many, many memory cards. Shall we go to Russia? Sure. Metaphorically speaking. Sure. All right. So last week, a UTR-737 decided that it didn't want to stop at the end of the runway and kept going. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, threw a fence into the riverbed and 18 people were injured. And very sadly, one of the airport... My Russian is rusty, so I'm not exactly sure who, who this person was, whether he was part of the airport staff or, or a member of the, the ARF crew, but had a heart attack during the, the rescue operation and, and sadly died. So, um, no one on the, the aircraft was fatally injured, but, uh, but unfortunately this, this airport or worker was. Yeah. And this was a, a runway overrun during some pretty bad weather, I believe. And I have no data to back this up, but I feel like just anecdotally, this has been happening more recently than it has in the past. I don't know if you agree, though. I don't know if I agree because I would have to look at the data to see if there's a trend there. But I agree with you that anecdotally, it does seem like runway overruns are becoming more common. Right. I know I've seen some some talk on Twitter of pilots deciding to land and, and whether that is over questionably bad that they probably shouldn't be attempting to. And again, we have no data on this. I just It's just something I feel like has been happening a lot recently. But thankfully, nobody has been killed except for, unfortunately, this airport worker, which is really unfortunate. But it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I we mean, really- it, we can pull up some data. I'm sure that if we go through the incident reports that, you know, we could spot a trend or, or see if there's an uptick or something like that. Whether it's statistically significant, who knows, but it's something that we could look into. But yet there was a a Delta 757 had, it was reported as an uncontained engine failure and I've heard nothing about it since. No. Again, another Delta engine incident where we'll never hear about it again. 
we never heard anything about about the A330 that had an engine issue. Where was it? Uh, Lagos, I think. Yeah, yeah. Never heard anything more. Nope. No, not not another word. Nope. And that thing came right back around and landed almost immediately. So that was definitely a situation. And this one, I didn't even hear about it until a day or two after. I didn't either. Yeah, I was. I knew about the the return, but I didn't think anything of it until the NTSB said they were investigating a reported uncontained engine failure. Which again, not good. No, not good. So so we'll hear more about this one because the NTSB is investigating, and we'll learn more when that report is issued. But. Very, very interesting that kind of, you know, went went under the radar as it did. Yeah. Speaking of not good, let's go down to Durango, Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. The preliminary report. Yes. Preliminary report issued by the Mexican authorities on that Aeromexico E-190 crash yes. in, in, in Durango, where they um took off, yeah, I guess in the most generous sense, they took off. They gained about 30 feet of altitude and contacted the runway again physically lost both engines and then burst into flames, but nobody died. There were some pretty not so great injuries, but everyone survived. Turns out the aircraft was indeed hit by what they suspect to be a microburst, which is a super duper nasty, intense downdraft from a thunderstorm, which basically kills any and all lift that the aircraft might have been able to generate and slammed it back down into the ground. And in that report, they didn't really cite crew error, but they also said that a what was it a trainee was in the right seat who had no business being there. They have fired Aeromexico has fired the pilots that were in, in up in the flight deck of that aircraft. So it's a little hard for me to reconcile the fact that the crew is not at fault, but they were also fired and had a trainee improperly flying the aircraft. So there's still far more to learn about what well, happened yeah, and there. I think the preliminary report is, you know, n- noting that they're, they're not finding fault. They're just fact finding at this point. So that'll be, you know, the final report will have a, a lot more detail in, in both the, the pilot and who was sitting where and who was doing what, but and also hopefully the weather conditions. Yeah. Aeromexico took no time to decide after the preliminary report to, to fire the pilots in charge of that aircraft for having a someone improperly up there in the, I think, believe it was the right seat. They also said that they had no way to know that the weather would have been that bad. And it's true, the Mexican airports don't really have extensive weather monitoring systems like we do here in the US or they might in Western Europe. They don't have, I don't even think they have Doppler radar at the airport. There's no wind shear detection. It's really basic, but some of the videos we saw, you just look out the window and the weather looked absolutely atrocious on the takeoff roll. Yeah, I mean, and at that point, you know, by the time the, the videos that we were seeing by that time, it could have just been, you know, the they were committed to the role. So I we'll find out in the final report, but the preliminary report definitely points to the weather being a major factor. Yeah, hopefully, if if nothing else, this spurs Mexico to spend some money on upgrading infrastructure at their airports to at least get basic weather forecasting and detection systems in place. That is kind of hard to believe that most or almost all of their airports don't even have the most basic of weather monitoring systems in place. And I hope they're able to change that in the future. Yeah. So we've got a couple related stories and we return to engine issues. Again. Again. 
It never ends. <laughs> just, dude, oh, everyone's got engine issues. We should have just stuck with the, the NGs and the COs and the, the planes we knew worked. And been done with it. Yeah. The Neo, the Max, all this new crap doesn't work. I get get off my lawn, I guess, is the necessary follow-on statement to that. So, we haven't even gotten into the meat of this, but basically, Boeing can't produce 737s because the engines don't work. Airbus has to ground a bunch of A320neos because the engines don't work. Boeing has 787s grounded left and right because the engines don't work. Are you seeing a trend? No. Oh, wow. Hmm. Wait, I feel wait. Like I was I pretty clear there. It's the engines don't work. It is. The engines don't work. What do I win? So there's a bit of a problem. 737s are piling up out in uh, Renton for Boeing. Seven uh, A320s are piling up where uh, this is nothing new, though. In, in Hamburg and Toulouse, there's all sorts of new vibration issues with the A320neo engines. What do they do with these things? I mean, at, at some point, you just have to fix the problem and and fly them. But yeah, no, I don't. I mean, they, they've closed taxiways to park 737s. And and there was a report out last week that said, you know, Boeing said the issue has gotten better, but it hasn't really. And then there was an, a news article this week, actually today, that said, no, it's getting better. So it, it's either getting worse or it's getting better, depending on what you're reading. But it's still not a great issue to have. I mean, they've brought, Boeing brought, you know, it's over 600 people back to work you know, to help, you know, solve these production issues. So, I mean, that that's something, I mean, the, the, the new issue with the vibration issues with the Neo engines, the Trent engines on the 787 are just, you know, the continue, I mean, looking at Latam's trying to get their fleet back in the air by the end of the year. Air New Zealand has leased capacity from EVA. They have old Singapore 777s that they're operating now. It truly is a great time to be an aircraft leasing company like HiFly or Euro-Atlantic. This is their renaissance right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something. I mean, so that's, it's all, you know, it's all come together where, you know, airlines are, are scrambling to, to find planes that work while the planes that don't either, you know, sit at the manufacturer or, you know, sit in their tech ops waiting for new engines and, and new parts and things like that. So- I mean, it, something's got to give, you know, it's, at some point, something's got to give. Boeing evacuated a vast majority of their 787s, not, not a vast majority, they, they, half a dozen. Only like six. Yeah, but they could only have like 10 on the flight line, I thought. So technically, it's a majority of the 787s from Charleston out of, uh, or out of North Charleston to Payne Field in Everett to prevent them from... Uh, you know, getting hit by the hurricane. Falling which is, over? I don't know. Yeah, well, which is interesting because you got to see Etihad and United's first 787-10. Yeah, not exactly the way they wanted to Unveil reveal them, those, yeah. I guess, because a lot of stuff that comes out of the Charleston plant, you don't see until they're ready for you to see it. Right, It's right. a lot more difficult than Everett where it's right out there on the flight line. Charleston's a lot more secretive and harder to spot. So, we got some sneak peeks and lo and behold – the Yeti had seven eight seven ten looks a lot like their dash nine, and the United dash ten looks a lot like their dash nine. The Shanghai airline was was neat though because it's their hundredth plane. The, that was so you yeah, get a that was their five hundredth plane. So that that was a little different. But the United looks like United. Eddie had looks like Eddie had beautiful livery. Eddie had I still love that, but nothing really utterly shocking. You really know how to take the wind out of my sails. I do. You you really do. That's why you have me. 
I must keep you around for something. I'm not really sure what it is yet, but uh, we'll figure it out by episode for my optimism. 60. This has been episode 40 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. And thank you as always for listening. <laughs>